Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 37th episode, the J.J. Leto episode, and I'm here after the finale of the 2022 season, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, a race that saw our our big winner of the season take his 15th win of the season. I'm sure you all know who I am talking about. And, you know, we have a whole season to review, but that is not going to be taking place on this episode. That will be on a future episode of Break Bias, and I will talk a little bit about that later as well, because first, we have to review the Abu Dhabi weekend. It's lights out, and away we go! Well, guys, I would say that because all the major positions in the championship were decided, besides, I guess, maybe P2, if you guys were really that interested in, in that, I, I honestly wasn't. Um, it, was, it was interesting. I was honestly more interested in the Alfa Romeo and Aston Martin fight than I even was between Charlotte Claire and Sergio Perez. However, this weekend was definitely all about Sebastian Vettel and his send-off. I would say that he, he got one of the best send-offs I've ever seen from anyone in any sport. I mean, the weekend started off with the dinner for all 20 drivers um, that it was rumored that Lewis Hamilton, well, actually, I think Alex Albon confirmed those rumors that Lewis was the one that um, got everyone together and he also paid the bill. However, there were some rumors that the bill was like a ridiculous amount and he shut down those rumors. So I guess he's basically just saying that Lewis is cheap and <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, of course. Um, but yeah, the, the dinner, like who, what, who, what, what driver would be able to get all 20 like, I don't know, like, would, would the drivers do that for anyone else? I don't know. I just feel like because Seb is a legend and he's also so respected, like, I'm not sure Lewis would get that treatment, to be honest. I, I really feel like he's he doesn't have a whole lot of friends in the paddock. Like, I, I don't know. I think Lewis would say that himself, to be honest. I think it really shows. I don't remember. I think it was like, uh, oh, what is that called? Um the grill the grids or it wasn't even a grill the grid or an F1 like just was interviewing um and asking questions to drivers and they asked Lewis you know um where it was a word association thing and they said like friend and he said car when like everyone else named drivers that they were friends with he was just like my friend's my car so I think that speaks volumes anyway I'm getting way off track here I just think that Vettel is the exact guy that would get the entire paddock together for a dinner. I know, yes, Lewis arranged it, but whatever. It's for Seb. And yeah, that was just the start of just what was an amazing send-off this weekend. Um, I thought it was a really nice touch putting him at the end of the F1 intro. That was super cool. Um, you know, his dad, Norbert, was at the track. I had just mentioned him in my little tribute on the previous episode. He brings his his son's race suit with that little picture of him in the Aston Martin garage. That was so cool. He was also vibing. I, I saw in the, I think it was the driver's parade. He was on the, one of the trucks and he was just dancing to the music. Um, I, I have to say I'm a big fan of Norbert Vettel. Uh, let's, let's put him in the car and see if he can uh, <laughs> take Seb's spot. Um, but I think obviously the coolest thing that happened this weekend, well, arguably is uh, the track run. Um, Seb got, like all the drivers and mechanics, engineers, and even journalists to to go to a track run, and um, I listened to what is uh, 
the F1 Nation podcast with uh, Tom Clarkson and Damon Hill and Natalie Pinkham. And yeah, and Tom Clarkson, I guess, took part in the run. And he said that Seb tried to run with everyone. There was hundreds of people on the track running and he tried to reach out to like everyone who was there and talk to them. And, you know, I think that, again, that just shows his character. And I thought that was a really cool thing to share from Tom. Um, so I just wanted to share that to my listeners. If you don't listen to F1 Nation, you know, I thought that that's just awesome. And I have to say, like, just Seb is so damn likable, isn't he? And he wasn't always like that. But another thing that Tom said was just that it seemed like he, he changed once he became a father. And, you know, it's not something I can relate to. I don't have a child. Um, but I, I feel like that is a common thing with a lot of people, not just athletes, not just F1 drivers, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I guess the only other thing in terms of Seb-related stuff, at least before the race, before we get into the on-track action, was some of the pre-race theatrics, you know? I think it was called, like, a guard of honor. I've, I've never heard that, to be honest, but uh, the drivers were all lined up, and he was shaking everyone's hand, and, you know, just a, a whole bunch of stuff, all for him. And he absolutely deserves it. So, yeah, that was that was honestly what I was excited for going into this weekend more than anything. Because, like I said, the championship stuff was was decided. Um, of course, Seb did have um, an opportunity to make a big splash for his team at the end. It was they were against uh, the odds. Um, and you know what? Let's talk about the race now and see if uh, if that came to fruition. Um, I'm gonna skip past Quali because honestly. I thought it was pretty boring and not much happened. Um, yeah, it was basically the Alpha Romeos were slow, which looked good for the Aston Martins. Mercedes severely underachieved after, you know, I think I think they knew that this track wasn't going to be good for them, but I think based on how well they've performed the past three weekends in a row, they thought that they'd maybe have a, a better car, but nope, they, they were not good. They were clearly third best. Red Bull was absolutely dominant, which left Ferrari in the middle somewhere. And of course, you know, going back to Seb, he gets into Q3. He had that amazing shot of him just absolutely full sending it through the traffic um, on a lap. He kept getting impeded by the Red Bulls, which was funny. Like of all teams, of course, it's the the team that he won his championships with. But yeah, honestly, just an incredible qualifying from him. One of his best of the season. And I'm not just saying that because it was his, his last race weekend. It really was an, an outstanding performance, and you know he just wanted to end on a high, and you know what? I would say he did, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's get to the race. Um, at the start, I think Perez actually had the better... Well, I, I didn't even say who was on pole. Max Verstappen got pole position, guys, all right? Uh, <laughs> and Perez was P2, front row lockout for Red Bull, and then the next two were Ferraris, next two were Mercedes. That, I guess, paints a little bit clearer picture before I get right into the start. I thought Perez clearly had the better start, but Max was able to to hold the lead around turn one. Hamilton was able to get past signs. And with Leclerc actually making a, a, a lunge on Perez into the hairpin before the big straight where Max overtook Lewis last year. Um, down the straight, it looked like Hamilton might actually have a shot at Leclerc, but it was actually signs. The Ferraris were very quick on those straights. Um, it was actually signs who almost, he was getting Lewis back. And basically it was the same thing that happened between Lewis and Max last year, where it was debatable whether Max pushed him off and Lewis cut the corner. 
And I will give my thoughts on this. I had argued for a while that I thought the the crime, if you will, with what Lewis did last year was to take the advantage you got because it's quicker to, t- to cut the corner, of course, than actually take the corner. It's a very slow chicane and you're going on to a huge straight. So to be able to carry the speed by not coming to almost a full stop is a massive advantage. And Lewis did not give back any of that advantage. I don't care what Mercedes said. They did not give back that advantage. And Red Bull was not happy about that. However, in terms of giving Max the position, absolutely not. I don't care. And I honestly, I think these incidents were similar, not exactly the same. However, I think um, F1 got it wrong here. And I think they got it right in 2021. I don't think that Lewis should have had to give that position back. When you're, when you're pushed off the track, what is it like? What is he supposed to do? He's supposed to just come, like, ah, it's it's just so strange. So he's supposed to just turn left on a horrible angle because he was pushed out. Like that's just how is that any fair at all to just be pushed on to completely off the track and then have to come back on and basically do like a a two seventy around the corner. I, I I don't know, especially where the difference here was that signs pushed Lewis onto uh, onto this kind of rough curb and it actually damaged Lewis's car a little bit. And I don't know, as soon as you're onto that curb, are you really gonna turn left away from the direction of the track? No, you're gonna you're gonna take the corner. And I think that what Lewis did actually didn't give him any advantage where last year, he actually did get a big advantage from it. So if anything, I think they actually got it more wrong last year with the advantage aspect of it than what happened this year. Lewis should have kept the position and that would have been fine this year. Or uh, last year, he should have kept the position and given back the advantage. I know that's a really hard thing to do, but he easily could have done that in sector three when it's almost impossible to pass. I don't know. It's, I, I just don't understand how you're able to on lap one, just muscle your way through. I know some people like that kind of racing. It's, it's hard. It's a bit dirty. Um, and I just feel like a lot of the time drivers get away with it, especially on lap one, when you're allowed to just push someone off and take the position. And then you 90% of the time get to keep the position if you do that. But if you just use off the track to keep the position and you have to give it up. So it's basically just the aggressor, the one trying to take the position gets it. I think you should have an advantage. If you're the one who is holding the position, it should have to be a clean move. That's just me. I I honestly don't think it would have changed the results of the race. We'll get to that in a second. So let's, let's, uh, let's go back to Sebastian Vettel here. And he was having absolutely a phenomenal first stint until basically everyone, well, yeah, I think everyone had pitted and it was still Seb out there on his uh, tires. An absolute sitting duck. I think he actually used those exact words, sitting duck, um, on team radio when he was just left out there on dying tires and people on new tires were already starting to catch up to him. So you know that's not when a one-stop is working well. It's when the two stoppers are already catching up to you after their pit stop. So... Not the best strategy. However, I think Vettel still drove his heart out. We will get to the results in a second as well. 
let's uh, quickly go through the retirements. Um, Alonso, who had this brilliant double overtake on uh, Bottas and I want to say it was an AlphaTauri, maybe Sonoda, Bottas and Sonoda, maybe it was Joe and Sonoda. I don't quite remember, to be honest, but brilliant double overtake. A few laps later, has to retire from the race. That sums up Alonso's season. I think uh, he, he didn't have a great qualifying. He didn't even make it into Q3, actually. Um, but the fact that, you know, he was making things happen out there and then he just is told to, you're done or, you know, he retired on track a lot of the times as well. And uh, the shock retirement, the first mechanical breakdown for Mercedes all year, Lewis Hamilton retires from the race and loses his record just like that. And uh, in a sec, I'll, I'll go over another thing that he lost with that retirement. His record of winning every single season was over. He didn't even get to finish in Abu Dhabi. And I think the way the post-race was set up, I don't think Hamilton and Alonso would have been able to do donuts with Vettel. However, I wouldn't have been surprised these, you know, almost bigger than the sport drivers were able to make make it happen. But obviously that wasn't, we weren't even given that opportunity because those two uh, retired from the race. Okay, but the story of the Grand Prix, besides Vettel, had to be this fight between Leclerc and Perez. Leclerc on a one-stop versus Perez on a two-stop. And I really wanted to bring this part out because I thought this was actually basically the only good thing that you could take away from Hamilton's race. And that is the fact that I believe that Hamilton cost Perez uh, P2 in the championship. And of course, P2 in the championship pales in comparison to winning a championship, um, which Perez cost Hamilton with his brilliant defense. But Hamilton did the exact same thing without the slowing down in sector three and holding him up. Um, the the exact same defense on Perez, and then Perez was able to get him the second time around. And it was that close with Leclerc. That one lap could have made a huge difference for Perez. Um, so yeah, Leclerc ended up beating Perez by what was like one and a half seconds. And Verstappen... No surprise, absolutely dominated and did not really help Checo whatsoever. I think Red Bull put Verstappen in a position on his one stop to hold up Leclerc if need be. However, it just never really, I, I can't blame Max here because he just drove as best as he could. And what was he going to do? He was going to slow down. That, I, that's just stupid because if Leclerc gets by, then that can further complicate things. So Verstappen just drove off into the distance, didn't really help his teammate at all, and I'm sure he enjoyed not having to. <laughs> um, but yeah, honestly, just what a race from our champion, his 15th win. And before I get into the stuff after the race, I have to just toot my own horn here, guys, because I don't I don't bet often, but I placed two bets on this race, and the first one I did way early before the weekend because... I saw the betting lines and I was like, what? So Verstappen had been, and I apologize if you don't understand betting lines, I'll try my best. So Verstappen had been a very, very heavy favorite to win every single weekend, according to the betting lines for a while now, because of course he's won over half of the races, probably almost three quarters of the races this season, especially in the second half has been absolutely dominant. Um, and I actually bet big money on Verstappen to win in Brazil. And that, that cost me. However, because Mercedes were so fast in Brazil, they basically 
didn't even make Max. Well, he Max was still the betting favorite, but he you you were able to double your money by betting on him to win in Abu Dhabi, and I thought that was wild. Yes, Checo might get some some strategic priority, but like guys, come on, Max is still the fastest driver on the grid in the fastest car. He could easily win this Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. So I bet pretty heavily on that one, and of course that was the win. But the one that was just awesome and I, I I've never been so happy for something bad to happen but I bet on an Alpine to retire first from the race I was able to win my money 10, 10 times my money with that with that bet so I bet ten dollars and it was actually 11 times because I won 110 dollars off of that Alonso pulls into the pits to retire I was just ecstatic I was like no way like uh, I don't know why the odds for Alpine to retire first were so good um, because they've retired so many times this season. Um, the only team I think retired more was probably Alfa Romeo. So that was kind of strange that I got such great odds on both those wins, but it was a big weekend for your boy, and I just want to share that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, post-race, guys, though, the the donuts, they they – they were for the top three. The championship order finished top three. Verstappen, Leclerc, Perez, and of course Vettel got his own little—I uh, don't know what you call those—like those those signs that they stick in front of the the podium drivers one, two, and three. Whatever those are, what I don't know what the name of those things are at all. Vettel got his own special one that said Danke Seb, which I'm pretty sure means thank you, Seb, in German. <laughs> I guess I should confirm that. Um, he got his own. He got to do his own little donuts on, on the pit straight where everyone else is kind of doing them on track, um, which, again, super cool, his own post-race interview. I thought what was kind of interesting with, with the donuts, though, um, elsewhere was the Mick Schumacher one, and I think a lot of people saw this, where he was doing a few donuts and then – uh, his engineer called in and said, Mick, sorry, stop doing donuts. We just can't. He didn't give a reason. He just said, we just can't. So that was kind of strange. And he was basically done doing it anyway. And he had his thank yous and whatnot. And then he said, love you, dude. Everyone was saying that he said, love you too. He did not say love you too. Because love you too sounded sarcastic because no one said love you first. <laughs> he said, love you, dude. It's very clear. So I just wanted to get that straight. I don't think that was like Mick being a savage at all. He said, love you, dude, to his engineer and said basically it was okay. Um, also on the cool down lap, Seb actually got a, a nice little send off. So did Daniel. It was something that I had only I noticed for the first time last year watching uh, Merce- uh, Valtteri's uh, on boards with Mercedes. And they give him a special engine mode, and on the dashboard, a nice little message comes up. It was Kito's Valtteri um, last year, and then for this year, Seb and Daniel got their own little photos. For Seb, it was his podium in Baku, and I actually couldn't tell what it was for Daniel. I'm pretty sure it was the podium in Monza. I couldn't exactly tell. Um, But I think that's the craziest thing about Daniel's stint, right? It's that win in Monza just... It just doesn't make any sense how he was able to achieve that, honestly. But like Lando, for as good as he has, has still never won for McLaren. He's never won a race in his career, of course. He's only been with McLaren. And Daniel, for how abysmal this two-year stint was with, with McLaren, he got the win. So that is crazy. 
And yeah, uh, the, both those send offs were, were very cool. Um, even Pierre with AlphaTauri, there some a very nice conversation afterwards. And Yuki was shouting out Pierre from his radio. Honestly, if this if this stuff kind of interests you guys, I would suggest going on YouTube and going to the they like F1 posts them after every single race of you know radio messages throughout the whole weekend, and a lot of them include the ones after the race. So yeah, and I think the the final post race thing that I'll mention here. Um, that was very post-race. Everyone had been out of their cars at this point. Was Mercedes zip tying Nick DeVries um, to one of those like moving carts and delivering him personally to AlphaTauri? I thought that was just an absolutely hilarious moment. The AlphaTauri garage just killed me because obviously, I mean, it's a funny gesture from Mercedes, but the AlphaTauri garage's reaction made it for me. Just like they were so pumped to get him, then they lay him down on the floor, and they're like, "Ah!" <laughs> it was just cool. That's another video I suggest you guys see if you haven't seen it. Um, so yeah, the the final results, guys. Last time doing it this season, P1 Max Verstappen, P2 Charles Leclerc, P3 Sergio Perez. Like I said earlier, the championship top three finishing in order after they all missed the podium in Brazil. By the way. First time that had happened all season, Signs was P4, followed by Russell in P5. And this is when I was saying with Lewis, um, I really thought that either way, Lewis would have finished P5 or P6 and Signs would have finished P4. Lando with another best of the rest finish in P6. He also claimed fastest lap, which was another funny thing after the radio. He was like, oh, guys, we must have the fastest car if we got fastest lap. Kind of a sarcastic dig by Lando. I'm not sure I actually love that comment in terms of like a team camaraderie type of thing, but that's a classic Lando comment for sure. Uh, Ocon was P7. P8 was Lance Stroll. So you think Vettel, who had the way better qualifying and probably a better race too, this is how hard he got screwed by his strategy because his teammate Lance Stroll, who had a great drive, was able to finish ahead of him. And the battle that cost Aston Martin in the championship at the end was between the two guys leaving F1, the race winners leaving F1, I should say, Ricardo and Vettel, of course. If Vettel was able to pass Ricardo, and it was close on the final few laps, Aston Martin would have taken sixth in the championship. However, Ricardo, on his farewell, whether it's temporary or not, was able to hold on to P9, giving Alfa Romeo P6 in the championship. Uh, and, of course, the man of the hour, Sebastian Vettel, was P10. That meant he started his career with one point and ended it with one point, which I think is just another cool little nugget about Sebastian Vettel's final race. So, usually, after I do the final results, I go into the championship standings, but I'm going to keep that um, for the championship segment and go through all of it while talking about the championship fights uh, that we discussed in the preview. So, uh, let's talk prize demise and surprise for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix first. Prize. So, I think this one was actually, I really had to think about this one because I was like, who really came out of this weekend with just a big W? Because, you know, yeah, Max wins another race, but in the grand scheme, that doesn't really mean anything for him. Sergio Perez obviously lost out on P3. Mercedes had a pretty horrible weekend. Alfa Romeo was terrible, but they were able to hold on to sixth. Alpine had a retirement. 
McLaren had a good weekend, but they didn't achieve what they needed to. Like, you just look across the grid, and you're like, who really took a W this weekend? I think there was a few drivers you could mention. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it has to be Charles Leclerc. He not only actually had a very underrated, brilliant race in a, in a Ferrari whose tires degrade really poorly, and it's shown in the second half a lot, he was able to pull off a one-stop and beat a Red Bull. Whether Perez was struggling or not, that is an incredible drive, and it was also just huge for Ferrari to um, to get that morale boost of you know achieving what they set out to do. They set out to improve. P2 in the constructors would have been a goal of theirs, whether you think they could have won the championship or not. This was a big year for Ferrari, and it was also just a big one for Charles Leclerc, who I think gets to end on a high after many, many lows this season. Um, I will just quickly say I did think it was hilarious that uh, Mattia Bonato said that we could win every single race in the second half of the season, um, or it was like the remaining 10 races or something, and then they didn't win a single race. But I think this was a great ending for Ferrari, and even Carlos Sainz um, had a pretty solid Grand Prix. So I think there's nothing to be ashamed of here. Great drive from, from Charles Leclerc. I think he knew it was a great drive as well. So he earns my prize. The demise, this is very easy. It's Lewis Hamilton. He loses to George Russell. It's the third driver he's ever lost to uh, over the course of a season. He loses his record of not winning or not grab. I, I don't know if he had that record for pole positions either. But no poles, his teammate got a pole. No wins, his teammate got a win. He falls down to P6 in the championship as well. And... He just, I, I think the biggest L that he that he took here is that now he didn't get to exercise those demons of 2021 Abu Dhabi either. So now two years in a row, you could say that Abu Dhabi was just a horrible weekend for him. And I think that uh, this is just not a good omen for the future. So... Yeah, I would say Lewis took quite a few L's this weekend and even had to pay the bill at that dinner. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. That is definitely a W for Lewis. Um, so let's talk surprise. And I think I've mentioned these guys a lot in the surprise recently, and I guess I apologize for that. But Alfa Romeo, again, just a, what a weird team. I, I really thought that they, with that last-minute upgrade for the, for the few, past few rounds, um, would have, you know, shown in their performance this weekend. They were extremely slow. They were so close to bottling P6. Aston Martin, wow. Like, if they just had a better strategy for Vettel, they would have pulled it off, and that is honestly shocking. And, and Alfa Romeo was, was not even able to do anything with strategy or or just performance, anything. Like, they just they couldn't do a single thing to stop Aston Martin from, you know, just slowing them down and keeping them because Aston Martin needed a really good result. If they got P8 and P9, that is a really good result for them. And Alfa Romeo couldn't do anything to stop them. And I don't love that going into next year. Yes, P6 is a big uh, constructors championship result for them, but the trajectory for them is horrible and I have to say whether, you know, this amount of money really does much for them anyway. I think you know, they're they're going to become Audi soon. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the team is just a little bit 
I, I don't know. I think that'd be going a little too far. Everyone who works for them is going to, to work their ass off to build a great car and be the best that they can be. I don't know. I just, I don't like the trajectory for the short term this team is on. And I would have them going backwards next year, but I will have a 2023 predictions video or not video podcast um, in the near future. I'm not getting into it too much on this episode. Um, However, it is time for the championship segment where I have quite a bit to break down. All right, guys. The championship segment this time around has to be called the big winners. So let's start with the drivers. The drivers championship finishes with Max Verstappen on top with a crazy 454 points. That's the most points scored in a Formula 1 season ever. While Charles Leclerc edged Sergio Perez for P2 by 3 points. So that means Red Bull still have never finished 1-2 in a championship. Um, also a really cool stat that was kind of circling around the F1 world is that since 2017, the winner of the first race has came second in the championship. Leclerc won in Bahrain. He was able to clinch P2. Um, also in that fight for P2, um, it, it kind of showed that Brazil didn't matter whether Max gave that position to Sergio or not. Sergio would have lost by one point or by three points. So... I still stand by what I said, and then it created unnecessary drama for the team for a meaningless position. It wouldn't have changed anything in the end, and Max did say that. It's just going to come down to who finishes ahead anyway. Still, just a silly move for Max, in my opinion. And I even have a friend who is a Red Bull fan. He's been on the podcast before, Andrew, who said, you know, he's a huge Verstappen fan, and he just like, it was a hard day to be a Max fan, he said. And I, I don't know if he meant that so much in terms of what he did but it was also discussed it was it was a bad race for him and and, and the team so um yeah I I have to say guys like I I was kind of saying this earlier I don't really care too much about p2 in the championship um when you look back you'll be able to see oh I guess the championship fight was between Leclerc oh wait Verstappen was 200 points ahead so I don't know. Even f- even if you look back in the standings, you're going to see that there was such a massive gap between first and second. So I don't think it really means anything. But yeah, still, what a great race from Leclerc. He achieved what he wanted to. And yeah, I'll leave it at that. So that uh, covers the top three. George Russell finishes P4. Um, I thought this was an extremely good result for his first year at Mercedes. Um like I said, it's only Jensen Button and Nico Rosberg who have beaten Hamilton over the course of his entire career. Um, getting the only win in pole over Lewis is just insane. Um, so I I guess I'm just only briefly mentioning this because I'll, the last thing I really want to say on this is the future and present are just looking extremely bright at Mercedes. George Russell is a very mature driver. And I know some people like to get on him for the, you know, he hits a car and then he's blaming the other driver. Just they all do it. I I so sick of the of the complaints about drivers whining on the radio because if it was only one driver and one driver was acting like a little baby and all the other ones were super respectful, then yeah, it would look terrible. But you know they they all do. You know like Fernando's a forty year old man and he still acts like a baby on the radio sometimes. So I don't I really. Yeah, it's just, I couldn't imagine 
how competitive these guys are, and they just want every little sporting thing to go their way. So if it's like when you don't score in a sport. I know I've done this in, done this in hockey, and teams I've been on have done this. You don't score, but it's so close that you just celebrate anyway, and you try to sell the ref into giving you a goal. It's the exact same thing. They're just trying to react in a way that make it look like, oh, they're the ones that some wrongdoing has happened to them instead of them being the ones that committed the wrongdoing. That's how I see it. You know, soccer players flop. I know people love to make fun of that, but there's a reason they do that. They do that to get the call, and the call can make a huge difference in a sport where not that many goals are scored. It's just a competitive thing. Who cares? George Russell is a phenomenal driver. Let's leave it at that. Signs, he retakes five. Five. He retakes five. <laughs> he retakes P5 in the championship from Lewis, putting him last out of the top three teams. Again, big yikes for Lewis. Biggest L of the weekend. Lando finished comfortably in P7, 30 points clear of Ocon. He even joked that he's going to change his number to P7 with all the P7 finishes and P7 in the championship. Um, that means, though, that Ocon defeated Alonso, becoming one of the very few to do that. And I think that's going to mean a hell of a whole lot more to Ocon. And I would say look out for when these two guys are wheel-to-wheel next year because you know what hap- you know what will happen. You know Alonso will get the most out of that Aston Martin, and he will be up there fighting with high-end midfield teams. Even if Aston Martin doesn't produce a great car, it will happen. And I can't see Alonso giving him a whole lot of space next year. I I don't think Alonso likes Esteban, to be honest. Um, Bottas was able to hold on to P10. Hear this, though, guys. He scored 46 points in the opening nine rounds. 13 rounds happened after that do you know how many points Bottas finished with 49 that means he scored three points in the final 13 rounds that is one more point than Nicholas Latifi Bottas scored one more point than Nicholas Latifi in the final 13 rounds after scoring 46 in the opening nine that is wild that is wild like, the Vries and Latifi combined for more points than Bottas after scoring 46. I think you guys get it. But that is crazy. P11 was level, actually, between Ricardo and, and Vettel. Um, however, Ricardo did get it. They were both 12 points shy of Bottas. Um, and Ricardo got it because of his P5 in Singapore. Uh, the best Vettel could manage was a P6 in both Baku and Japan. P13 was Magnussen, who just edged out Gasly. Uh, Then it's Stroll in P15, ahead of Mick Schumacher and Yuki Tsunoda, who are also level. Um, But again, Mick's P6 in Austria gave him the advantage over Tsunoda. Joe's six points were good enough for P18, followed by the three Williams of Albon, Latifi, and DeVries. So I would have to say that the three that really stand out there are Ricardo, Stroll, and Joe as drivers who finished behind other drivers with, I mean, lesser cars. Um, Ricardo and a McLaren finishing behind, well, level with an Aston Martin and behind an Alfa Romeo. Stroll finishing behind a Haas and an Alfa Tauri. And then Joe, who is P6, finishing behind all of them, basically, besides the Williams. Um, In the constructors, though, Red Bull ran away with it, finishing over 200 points clear of Mercedes and Ferrari. While Ferrari did end up taking P2 over Merck by a margin of 39 points, 
Um, it really shouldn't have been that close. And, of course, Mercedes had a pretty torrid weekend, so they didn't even challenge Ferrari at all um, for P2 this weekend. Um, but at the end of the day, it's what both teams deserved. It was pretty clear that Ferrari should have been fighting for P1 in the constructors and not P2 or even close to finishing in P3. Um, but here, here is my hot take, if you will. I think it's better for both teams that it finished this way. And so hear me out. It's better for Mercedes. I'll start with them that they finished P3 because either way, even if they stole P2 from Ferrari, it was a failure season. It was an absolute fail season. This is a team that needs to be fighting for P1. And if they don't finish P1, like just be in the fight, right? They were not at all in the fight for P1. They only won one race. They only got one pole position. And even both of those did come in somewhat fortunate circumstances, especially the pole position. So it's better for Mercedes to just, you know, finish third. It also probably motivates them looking back that they finished third and not second. And also just get the extra wind tunnel time to fix the weird W13 where you could say, oh, well, Ferrari, both these teams make a ton of money and the wind tunnel time would benefit them. That is true. However, the reason I think P2 for Ferrari is a bigger deal is because I was kind of mentioning this before as well, that it really shows progress for Ferrari, where P2 is not progress for Mercedes. Um, P3, after the season that they've had for Ferrari, would I think have been a, just been a massive failure, where P2 doesn't feel so much of a failure when you look back at it. Of course, many moments of this season with Ferrari were a bit painful, um, probably a little bit more than a bit. But no, at the end of the day, Yes, they're they're getting less wind tunnel time than Mercedes, but they're still getting a whole lot more than Red Bull because of their cost cap penalty. And P2, Ferrari's a team that needs the morale booster, where I think Mercedes might actually thrive um, with the motivation and like accountability from this poor season. So I think this is where they deserved, and I think it's beneficial for both teams to actually finish it in this order. So then the battle for P4, like I said, after Brazil really fizzled out and there was no surprise, it was Alpine who took it from McLaren, despite McLaren's better result this weekend. Alpine really looked quicker the whole season. Reliability is still a massive issue, though. And at the end of the day, when you look back, Lando was phenomenal and Ricardo really cost them again. McLaren could have been P3 last year. They could have been P4 this year. And Ricardo held them back both times. It's just the truth. I'm sorry, Ricardo fans. Alfa Romeo and Aston Martin, a championship that I was actually very dialed into. Um, they finished level, but Bottas's P5 and Imola got Alfa above Aston. Um, both these teams, I was mentioning Alfa Romeo's trajectory already, are on pretty insane trajectories, just going the opposite direction. Alfa Romeo has tailed off extremely hard, and Aston Martin improved maybe more than any other team this season. Where they were at the beginning of the season was an absolute disaster. Thinking back to Australia, that was one of the most disgusting performance weekends I've seen from an F1 team ever. Like, And I'm not exaggerating. That was such a horrible weekend. And they really finished the season on a high. They scored points in a lot of races in the second half. So I like Aston Martin to improve next year, especially with a driver like Alonso. And I think Alfa Romeo takes a step back. I would take uh, Aston Martin any day going into next year over Alfa Romeo. And also, I guess, shout out to Valtteri and Seb because they absolutely carried their teams. Haas 
also secured P8 from AlphaTauri. Neither team scored in Abu Dhabi, so it's not really there's not really a whole lot to say on this one. Um, just that I think this P8 is a success for Haas, while even P8 was a failure for AlphaTauri, but P9 just compounds that failure. They were they were clear of Williams for sure. But at the end of the day, in the standings, they're the only team that finished ahead of them. And that does look bad on them. Next year, I think uh, Haas gets better with Hulkenberg on the short term, while AlphaTauri gets worse with DeVries. Um, so I would have to say I have more confidence in AlphaTauri to improve their car. Um, however, the driver lineup for Haas actually it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. I wouldn't be surprised if these two teams are going at it again next year. And then, of course, Williams, they went pointless again in Abu Dhabi, down in P10, and they finished as the only team without double digits. Um, but hey, no other team can say they had three drivers score points for them, right? That's pretty cool. Also, just because I brought up Williams and not scoring a point, I just thought I didn't even mention the the Mick Schumacher and Nicholas Latifi coming together at the hairpin. Um, I'll give my thoughts on that incident really quick because I forgot about it. Sorry, guys. Um, not only was the double spin, obviously, it looked super cool. Um, and Mick Schumacher probably did deserve a penalty. Although I must say, I kind of felt bad for Mick there because he did actually see him a lot quicker than Kevin this weekend. And he was going for an aggressive move. Why not have fun in your last race? Latifi looked like he was going so slow in that corner. And I think the move was on on pretty much any other car on the grid. So I will just say that. However, because of the optics of everything, Mick kind of had to get the penalty. All right, guys. Um, so before I wrap it up here, I want to just quickly let you guys know what uh, brake bias is going to look like in the future for the for the off season. I'm going to let you guys know right now, I'm going to take a week off after this episode and just kind of, you know, enjoy some holidays. And then I'm going to come back the following Monday. So two weeks from now um, with a season review episode. And I guess I should say this is a Tuesday that I'm recording and I'm sure most of you guys won't be hearing this until Wednesday. And I apologize for that. I was on holidays yesterday and I even tried to do the podcast and I was having so many technical difficulties that I was like, you know, screw it. I, I'm going to come back tomorrow. I'm going to fix my laptop and I'll, I'll have the episode done uh, on Tuesday. So I do apologize for that. Um, but yeah, my, my laptop just did not want to cooperate with me for some reason. It's getting a little old. Um, so yeah, I, I will let you guys know. Um, after the season review episode, a little bit more details about the plan, but I can tell you right now, I'm also going to be taking a break over Christmas and there'll probably be a good three weeks where I don't have a podcast. Um, but if anything major breaks in the F1 world, you know, I will definitely do a podcast on it. Even if it's 25 to 30 minutes, I'll also maybe try to do a few interviews, get a few guests, um, over the winter break. And even from, January and February, right? Because we're not going to be back until March. Um, but I will definitely have a few episodes leading into the next season. So yeah, I guess that's uh, where we stand for now. So that will do it for the JJ Leto episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 38 two Mondays from now. Remember that to review the 2022 F1 season. There will be a lot to unpack from this season for sure. So that episode's going to be an exciting one for sure, guys. Goodbye. <laughs>